Hi, this is the Social Jello with Angelo show. My name's Angelo. I'm a social scientist, surfer, martial artist, and a whole lot of other things. Coming to you live from Kasai City, Japan, the Social Jello with Angelo show. Hey, what's up, everyone, and thanks for tuning in to Social Jello with Angelo. You know, I always promise you to bring you at least one episode every month. And uh, here it is. This is this month's episode. Today's October 1st. I'm kind of pushing on my deadline. I never really tell you when I'm going to release my episodes, but I do promise you I will release one a month. I really appreciate your patience. Before we get started, i uh, kind of go over some stuff. You can find my podcast on YouTube. You can find my podcast on TuneIn Radio. You can find my you can find my podcast on Last FM, as well as uh, I forget that. Oh, Blueberry, Blueberry, and a few other places. Yeah, people keep adding my podcast because I let people download it for free. So internet stations really like that because it gives them free content. What do I get out of it? Uh, not much. I get my voice out on the internet, and maybe two my handful of of you wonderful listeners and i really do appreciate it i was contacted on facebook the other day by one of my listeners i was surprised i that they found me thank you you know who you are if you ever want to be on the show and you're an expat you have an interesting story or even if you just have an interesting story hit me up at www.socialjello.com hit the contact it'll give you to my email if that's a little too much for you and you're listening and you don't want to go to my website, that's cool. You can just go to my web, my Gmail, which is uh, thesocialjello at gmail.com. Well, that's about it. Let's get started with the show. Well, if I don't know how long you've been listening to Social Jello. Uh, maybe this is your first episode, and if this is, I'm sorry. There's a lot more interesting episodes, especially the ones where I interview people. I always recommend the one with uh, with uh, John Travolta. Travolta? Not Travolta. John Travolta. No, I've never actually interviewed anyone that famous. Uh, but anyway, uh, my friend John out here, uh, French-Canadian, ultra runner. Really great episode if you want to check out that one and also the christopher van etta episode is really good um aside from that no they're all pretty good i it just i guess it depends why you listen to me um and what you're looking for in a podcast but outside of those two things what i wanted to say was the first episode of social jello uh i used to work with this guy who uh his name was Asan. Yeah, and Hassan, he used to help me out with some of my recording. The first early recordings he used to edit, and uh, I was kind of a lazy bastard. Didn't want to edit my own stuff, so Hassan did that for me. Either way, uh, if you listen to that first episode, maybe episode two actually. Either way, if you listen to that, uh, you're gonna hear me talk. We're gonna hear you're gonna hear an interview about how Hassan came to Japan. My, you know, my kind of the first original format of the show psychology and expatting and stuff kind of stuff and uh i kind of interview him and talk about what brought him out to japan blah blah and at the end of the episode we talk about how i would eventually talk about how i met my wife and now almost 40 episodes later <laughs> i realize i never released that episode i never talked to anyone well I, I talked to a lot of people but i never actually put a podcast out there about how i met my wife 
how I ended up out in Japan. I covered it a little bit in the Christopher Van Etta episode. I touched on it a bit on on how I, my kind of life story because he asked me. I, I really don't like to talk to my about myself too much during interviews because the people I interview have fans and then they complain that, hey, I didn't want to listen to this jello dude talk about his life i wanted to listen to the guest like who the fuck is this jello guy so for those people yeah well you know my bad for but for my listeners maybe you, you listen to that already and this is going to be a repeat or a rehash or maybe a more in-depth it's an in-depth story i'm gonna uh, that sounded i could have worded that so much better but i didn't but either way <laughs> here it is how i met my wife well, as you know, I live in Japan. I met my wife about 13 years ago now. 13 years ago. Yeah, around there, maybe more. And we were back in San Diego, California. Shout out to San Diego, woot woot. Um, and at the time, I was in a band. And I, uh, I knew a lot of different people in the nightclub scene. Because uh, I used to play... At venues, nightclubs, nightclubs, and uh, and dive bars, anywhere, anywhere that would accept my band. It was a pop punk band, and we uh, we would write music to try to accommodate anything. Even though we were primarily pop punk, if we were more in a dance setting, we'd try to write da- more music that you can kind of dance to. We'd switch things up to make things. Either way, yeah, that's I'm sidetracking again. I do that, and if you listen to this show, you're like, oh shit, sidetrack again. Yeah, I do that too. Back to the story. Either way, I was in a band, and I because of that, I went to a lot of nightclubs. Why am I explaining like the nightclub thing? Well, because there was a time in my life when I was very young that I actually liked the nightclub scene. I liked to go out dancing and clubbing and whatnot. That lasted maybe three months into me being 21, and I gave that shit up real quick because that, that got expensive and not really fulfilling. Long story short, uh, I was in that scene since I was 18, no, 17, 17, 17, I started playing at dive bars and stuff with my acoustic guitar. So to me, being in a club was not really a big deal. Uh, I already kind of got used to the nightclub scene, the owners, the bartenders, the promoters. I already knew a lot of these people and I knew what the scene was really all about. I didn't come from the scene on the outside. In other words, coming into party. I was the one trying to entertain. So by the time I actually tried to party, it wasn't easy for me to enjoy the party scene because it kind of, to me, felt like going back into the office, which is kind of a weird thing. And because of that, a lot of my friends knew that uh, that if you knew if, if you knew me, if, if you wanted to go to a party or find a nice nightclub, to ask me for help. So one of my friends was from New Jersey, New Jersey. I don't know if that's a good New Jersey accent, but that's what he sounded like to me. And his uh, his brother was visiting, and he wanted to take him out clubbing for his birthday. And I recommended a spot back then that's not open anymore called Margarita Rocks in Pacific Beach, California, Southern Cal, SoCal. And when I got there, uh, we'll kind of give you a, a brief description of what this place was like. It was, uh, this place was not a dive bar. I actually kind of liked it. It was kind of cool because it had, uh, they would have reggae bands and kind of like beach music, I guess you can say. They would play uh, during the day 
and during the evening. And then at night, they would switch over to a DJ who would play, who would play hip hop, a little mix of everything. That's what I liked about the mix. It wasn't like all, it wasn't a hip hop club per se. They would play like some top 40 and they'd also throw in some reggae. And so I kind of liked the vibe of the place, which was pretty cool. And they had go-go dancers. You can never go wrong with go-go dancers. And uh, <clears throat> it was a nice vibe right next to the beach. So we, we took my friend to that spot and they were getting down and dancing and stuff. And and when uh, I noticed, I looked over, it was the middle of the week. It was kind of an odd day to go clubbing because I think it was maybe, uh, it wasn't a weekend. It wasn't a weekend. I remember that because it was the guy's birthday and it landed like on a Thursday or something. So it wasn't super packed. There wasn't a bunch of people, which I actually enjoy. I hate going. Back then, I hated going. I still do. Like if I have to go, if I have to, and that is a word, if I have to, if like a lot of people want to go clubbing, let's go out clubbing, let's go out dancing, woo woo, get down. Uh, I usually prefer the place to not be too crowded. I don't want the place to be empty because that's not that fun either. But I don't like the place being just packed and having to wait in a long line and having to be groped by everyone as you walk by them to grab your drink or whatever and have to squeeze in like a sardine. I hate that shit. So it was nice that we got there and it wasn't packed like that. We get in there and uh, there, was, there, was, there was enough people to have the place kind of filled but not packed like I mentioned earlier. And I look over and I notice... And I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you from my perspective back then. I mean, right now, you know, the the Angelo that you're listening to now uh, ha, ha, is living in Japan, and it has studied a lot of different martial arts and looked into Asian cultures and their differences and and knows the difference between the languages. Even I can actually distinguish when I hear someone speaking an Asian language, whether it's going to be Japanese, Korean, Vietnamese, or Mandarin or Cantonese. I'm not perfect, but uh, I can, when I hear people speaking, I, I can, I can distinguish usually like at 80%, I can distinguish. And I can definitely tell if it's one of the languages that I can speak. Well, I can only speak Japanese, but either way, um, back then I didn't know any better. So I just looked over and saw a group of Asians. There's a bunch of Asian women dancing in a circle. That's interesting. And I thought to myself at the time, you know, I have never been able to even start a conversation with someone Asian. I've tried. There was a lot of Filipinos in San Diego, and I tried talking to them, but something about my game, spitting game at a Filipino girl never really worked. I never really could even say that. Could get past the hello phase. Be like, hey, and they give this look like, fuck off, and I'm, like, I'm gonna fuck off now, and <laughs> leave, so either way, I, I, I knew they weren't Filipino, they looked different, but I didn't know what, what type of Asian they were, and I was just watching from afar, and not stalkerish for anyone looking at this, I wasn't stalking anyone, but I was wondering how I would even start the conversation, considering all the times I've been told to fuck off by Filipino girls. So I was thinking, ah, oh, and before you start listening to this, this guy's got an Asian fetish. I do not have a fucking Asian fetish, all right? Like, I told you, it never worked out. It never worked out. I tried talking to maybe two Filipino girls before I met my wife, and never worked out, like I said. And it wasn't that I didn't like, it wasn't like I had this thing 
this weird thing about Asians or anything. Like at the time I was still studying martial arts. I was studying Kajukembo under a Filipino American martial arts instructor. Uh, shout out to Professor Ronnie Sigiri in San Diego. Um, yeah. And he was Filipino and his whole family is Filipino. So, I mean, I guess technically I talked to his family members, but they weren't like, I wasn't trying to spit game to my, come on now. That's suicide, right? You're not going to spit game to your martial art instructors, family members that are women. Like, that's some serious shit. That relationship goes wrong. They're going to fuck you up. Filipinos will fuck you up if you fuck up, you know, if you fuck with their families. So you don't mess around. Not that I was messing with anyone, but. Yeah, like the last thing I needed was some failed relationship with some family member that was related to my martial arts instructor and get my ass kicked in class. So, yeah, I stayed away from that. So, yeah, clear that up right there. I do not have an Asian fetish. Back to the story. So I was trying to figure out how I was going to start this conversation with any, anyone in the group. Like I was already kind of eyeing my wife, but she was like in the far, like... They had like this impenetrable Japanese force field and I, I didn't know how to get past it. I, I saw one guy walk up. He bought one of the girls a drink. He bought my, yeah, no, no, one of the girls. He bought my wife a drink, my future wife. He bought her a drink. And then she handed it. She said, thank you. Okay, I said, thank you. He didn't dance. She didn't dance with him or anything. She kind of cut whatever. He was talking to her and he, she kind of cut the conversation in less than two minutes. Done. And uh, the drink that that was handed to her was handed to another friend that was handed to another friend that was handed to another friend that was handed to another friend because there was only three girls drinking and then i don't know if they played rochambeau or rock paper scissors to see who got that drink but they were pretty much only four girls three girls drinking and the rest of them were all they weren't designated drivers but they were designated cock blockers i don't know <laughs> so either way they they were making sure that uh that, that the drinks were handed out distributed appropriately amongst them and I figured, well, buying them a drink is not the way to start a conversation. So I figured the best way to do it would be to kind of poke fun or make a joke. And I noticed that they were kind of dancing on the carpet. Now, it's funny because I say this, but my wife's version of the story, she said, I never said this. So I'm guessing that maybe when I started poking the joke, she wasn't paying attention and one of her other friends was. But either way, when I saw them dancing, I said, hey, what are you doing? And they're like, what do you mean what are you doing? Well, what are you doing? You're dancing on the carpet. Like, yeah, we're dancing. Like, you're dancing in a carpet. And you know, I, did, was, I, I said a very American cocky thing. I was like, hey, in America, we dance on the dance floor. You know, why don't you all come out to the dance floor? It's, much, it's a much better place to dance than the carpet. And the, they kind of laughed. A few of them kind of laughed. And then they all kind of moved on to the dance floor. I'm like, all right, cool. Now, now that they're dancing, maybe I can get into this circle and, and dance, get one, try to get a dance in with my future wife. I wasn't thinking she was my future wife at the time. I was just trying to dance with this one girl named, well, I won't say her name in case she gets mad, but her. Either way, so I get up close. Um, I don't get up close. I try to get into that impenetrable circle, that force field, and I get repelled. And they, they, they're dancing very tightly shoulder to shoulder in a circle. There's no way anyone can get in. And I noticed, like, some guys are trying to do the, like, the, the sneak-a-poke from the back. Like, you know, if you've ever been to the dance club, like, the guys get in the back and they try to, like, hump, dry hump from the back. And their girls weren't having that shit. And they, they pushed, they, they, they stopped that shit down. They shut that shit down quick. So I was like, all right, well, that's definitely not the way to approach the situation. 
So I kind of just danced in the vicinity around the area until finally um, I kind of made eye contact and uh, and, and she, uh, she, she, she kind of danced next to me and then finally, finally we danced to one song. One song. It was great. We kind of danced and we're smiling and laughing and whatever. And after the song was over, the lights turned on and the club was finished. They said, oh, that was our last song. Last call, everyone. Time to wrap things up. Time to go. And I was thinking, oh, man, that took, that took, me, three, that took me like two or three hours to pull off. That was, that was really bad. And uh, I figured out, out, of, out, of a, out of desperation, uh, I just said, I figured, what can I lose? And I, and I said, hey, I really enjoyed dancing with you. Uh, would you like to hang out sometime? And she said, sure. Can I get your number? And she gave me her phone number. And uh, coincidentally, um, I, in the Pacific Beach was about 45 minutes from my house. I lived in northern San Diego uh, in a place called Escondido. Uh, shout out to Esco, viejo. Yeah. And turns out she was from a small county next, next to mine called San Marcos, which is only 10 minutes from my house. I mean, at the time, that was kind of just sheer luck. But I didn't realize that that is related to psychology. Who? How do you like how I did that? It's called the proximity principle. Um, it's actually a theory developed in social psychology. And it was uh, put together by Theodore Newcomb. And uh, also Leon Festinger wrote about it. And the, the idea of uh, the proximity principle that it accounts for tendencies for individuals to form interpersonal relationships with people who are close by. So the reason that you form friendships and romantic relationships with people, um, they have to, they don't have to be, but it accounts for the reason like you hear about the workplace romance or the fact that two people from the same school end up developing a romantic relationship, getting married. But the whole idea is that once people are in close proximity to each other, living in the same city or living in the same county or living nearby, this is able to reinforce their relationship. Simply put in layman's, they're easier access, right? You're closer, you see this person. When it's someone's closer, it's easier to see them so you can see them more often so you can kind of foster that relationship better. I didn't know any of this at the time. I was just really stoked that she lived 10 minutes from my house. But um, but yeah, that, that's that's the that's the psycho the psychology principle that I kind of wanted to talk about a little bit in my story. But yeah, that uh that accounted that was great. Like she was only ten minutes from my house, and um, you know we wrapped up the night. She left, I left. I uh, I was really stoked, and I really liked her. So I immediately told my friends, I'm like, dude. I met this really, like, really nice girl. Um, she's Asian. I don't know what kind of Asian she is. But uh, she was really friendly. And we got to dance. And they're like, well, how do you know she's really friendly? You only had one dance. Like, well, she was really nice, you know? Like, she smiled, blah, blah. I got her number. She, you know, she wasn't mean when I asked for her number. You don't know anything about this girl, my friend said. For all you know, she gives out her number to every guy she meets at every dance club. And that was actually not said to me by oh, that was my dad's the one who said that my dad's like no no my dad said something else that my, my one of my one of my friends girlfriends told me that and then my dad he 
said, uh, <laughs> he said, he's Puerto Rican. Well, well, I'm Puerto Rican. My Puerto Rican dad said in Spanish, Esas mujeres que están allá afuera, ahí bailando en las discotecas, son, 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 no son mujeres que, son, son, son una, eso es porquería, son mujeres que, que les gusta estar con muchos hombres, ¿no sabes? ¿Tú, tú quieres una prostituta. Now, for anybody who can understand that, I'm really sorry. He, he used some really strong words. Uh, long story short, he, he said he, he had a very low opinion about women who, who went to nightclubs to dance. And he felt that they were loose, to say the least, in my dad's very harsh, direct way of speaking. Now, I wasn't sure what to think. I thought she was really nice, and I didn't believe anything that anyone was telling me. And uh, I didn't care. And my uh, one of my friends suggested, the same girlfriend who said, you got to be careful with girls you meet at clubs, nightclubs. She said, hey, why don't you just wait a week? If you wait one week, if she's really meeting so many guys, like your dad says, uh, by the time you call her next week, she won't know who you are because she's handed out her phone number to so many guys lately. She won't know which one you were. I'm like, all right, that's a good idea. So I waited a week, and I give her a call, and uh, she answers the phone. You go, hey, this is this is Angelo. You remember me? Like, I, you know, I called. Uh, I got your number uh, last week, and then she said, "Yeah, I remember you. How come you waited one week to call me?" And she yelled at me, and I was like, "Oh shit!" And like right right away, I knew that she was a little bit different because uh, she was uh, she was very straightforward, very direct speaking. Like I, I don't know. Again, how how much what your personal experiences are, where you're coming from, but if you're uh, if you're from the U.S., um, there's just this way that people who are born in the U.S. speak and immigrants speak, and I I don't know if all immigrants I can't speak for all immigrants, but I know my dad was very direct. There was just no bullshit with the way he'd say. It. He didn't give a fuck about whether you thought it was socially acceptable, appropriate conservative, uh, liberal, what he was about to fucking say, he's just going to say it. And my wife was the same way. She, she's, she's, she is the same way. She was, the, she was that way then, and she is that way now with me. She holds back a little bit for some people uh, out in Japan, because in Japan, and that's the surprising thing is that if you look at Japanese culture, that is not the case. Like, they are not like that. But but my wife kind of picked that up, that that direct way of speaking, like, speaking her mind, what she's thinking and just saying it, which I love about her. I, I like that. I, I prefer someone who's going to tell me in my face something I might not like than someone who is going to sugarcoat everything and hold a different opinion, maybe a completely different opinion that I might not even agree with, but they're going to sugarcoat everything so that we can have muster out some sort of fake conversation and foster some sort of fake relationship. And then later... Uh, eventually, I, I will cut through that bullshit and figure it out eventually, and then I'm just going to feel lied to. Most of the time now, when I find someone who I feel is just faking everything they speak about, like just trying to be this perfect person on whatever side, whether they're trying to be perfectly conservative and use religion as a way to say that they're a really good person and then hide. Not, not that there's, maybe they are. They're all good. Okay, look, no one's completely bad. No one's completely good. All right. But some people try to put out this image of being super good. Uh, they call it virtual signaling. And I've seen this done on all sides of a political spectrum. Before people try to say, oh, that, that's a conservative term that they use against liberals. No, no. 
I've seen virtual signaling with people who are very conservative and very religious, and uh, they try to use their religion, like, like they got these brownie points from their religion. But then behind that mask, behind that image they've portrayed, they have just as many problems as anyone else, you know, cheating on their spouses, blah, blah, blah. And I've seen it on the other side, too, on the left, with people trying to say, oh, you know, I'm not racist, blah, 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 I have one black friend, blah, 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 blah. But then you kind of get past all the bullshit and you realize that they got the same problems as anyone else. Like, yeah, I, I've met a lot of people that I've a lot of men that were like, oh, I'm a feminist. Blah, blah, blah. And then, then you kind of fucking get into their life and you realize, hey, this guy, this guy beat the shit out of his last girlfriend. I met a guy like that, said he was a feminist. Turns out he was beating the shit out of his out of the women in his life. He was a domestic violence abuser. And you're thinking to yourself, what the fuck? That's kind of that's some creepy shit, you know, like. Using feminism as a as a mask to hide the super villainy that's going on in the background. So yeah, I don't believe that kind of stuff. I I prefer someone to tell me that same that tell me that they made a mistake, they fucked up. Um, even and people always act like people can't change. That, that's another thing that really bothers me is people act like people can't change. People can't make a mistake. People make mistakes all the time and they learn and grow. Some people don't. Some people are just stuck and in a long perpetual cycle of violence that will never end but some people do learn in fact most people do learn statistically speaking at least 60 percent of any given population does figure shit out that's the average right so like they'll always people make mistakes people change and to try to hold people accountable for their whole lives for a mistake they made and that's why i like people who are real people who are just truthful people who are who aren't uh, who aren't afraid to talk about the mistakes they've made in their past because then that's someone i can trust because I'd rather have you tell me you fucked up than hide that you fucked up. Because then that's a bigger fuck up, in my opinion. Which is something I really liked about my wife. So yeah, that's how I met my wife. As time went by, uh, we uh, because she was so close, um, I was able to see her after my band practices. So like after band practice, every like every show uh i would call her up and ask her what she's up to and she was always up late because she was a student she was finishing up her uh her teaching license she had she was getting a teaching license to teach preschool kids and uh in the u.s and she was getting her california teaching credentials so every night she was up late studying getting that stuff done and uh, I'd be finished with my band stuff, and she'd be cooking. She always had all these friends over, and it was like a very multicultural, multi-Asian group. Like one person was from Indonesia, one person was from Thailand, and uh, they would all get together and just have all kinds of food from their their kind of prospective countries. Sometimes from Indonesia, sometimes from Thailand. So I had I, they had some good food. So yeah, I'd go over there and we'd eat and talk and hang out. And that's how I kind of got to know my wife. It took a long time to figure out whether or not I was in a relationship with her. Because it's, it's kind of a... Uh, Japanese people have this thing called... I think it's called... Kompa? I think it's called Kompa. Either way. It's this concept where people get together in a group and they group date. And I didn't understand that. Because I thought dating was individual. Of course, I fucked up in my first date with my wife because I kind of I I invited I was at a friend's house 
And my friend's like, oh, you're going on a date? Hey, we want to go. And my friend and his girlfriend want to go. I'm like, all right, cool. You guys can come if you want. You two can come if you want. And um, I told my wife, I was like, hey, or, you know, her at the time. I told her, hey, I'm going to, is it cool if I bring two of my friends? They're a couple. Do a double date. She said, sure. So I kind of started the whole thing, the whole, the whole like, friends, having friends around. And I, 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 yeah, that was me. So later then I confused myself as to what was really going on with, you know, what was really going on with our relationship. But um, that's a completely different story, maybe for another time, about how I developed my relationship and how I ended up coming out to Japan after that. So I guess what I'm going to do is I'll do a, a different part series because I, I don't want I don't want to keep rambling on, on on different tangents for too long, but that's how I met my wife. That's how I met my wife, and after that we became friends. We became friends, and we were friends for a long time. Well, not that long, but we definitely didn't have anything romantic going on for at least six months. And uh, maybe in the next podcast, I'll talk about why and and what and the details and that. But I think. I think for today's podcast, I think I'm good. I think that covers what I wanted to cover. So thank you very much for listening to Social Jello with Angelo. Um, if you've been following this for a little bit, um, what I wanted to say was uh, I'm really sorry about the fight that got canceled. It wasn't my plan. That's just how things kind of turned out. Wrap-up time. So, like I said earlier, that's how the fight got canceled. The guy didn't have... They didn't have a guy for me to fight. I cut that weight. I went down. Not for nothing. Um, I think I gained a lot of great experiences from that. Um, Again, check out all my stuff. www.socialjello.com Thank you for listening. Thank you for supporting the show. That's always greatly appreciated. Stay tuned for many more episodes coming up. And like I said, if you're interested in proximity theory, check it out. If you ever have anything psychology related that you want me to analyze, send it my way. Send me an email. Reach out to me on Twitter at Social Jello or on Facebook at Jello Ferrer. And I'd be more than happy to cover a topic if if that's something that you want me to do. Uh, That's cool too. All right. Well, take care and I'll catch you later. Peace. Fucking popcorn